This is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Percipient, and on today's show, we're talking legal operations with Stephanie Corey and Liz Lugonis of Uplevel Ops. On today's show, I have a conversation with Stephanie Corey and Liz Lugonis of Uplevel Ops. Stephanie is the co-founder and Liz is the COO. We talk about why having a good legal operations program is crucial to managing the business side of law so the lawyers can focus on actually practicing it. Stephanie and Liz kick off their conversation with an explanation of what legal ops is and what it entails. What we will hear is it boils down to managing the business aspects of law, from the people and processes to the technology that's used. Stephanie and Liz will also fill us in while having the right people in the right roles positively impacts efficiency and productivity and how well-defined processes can help ensure that everyone knows what they need to be doing and when. And you know, because we're a tech podcast, we of course spend a lot of time talking about the role of tech and legal ops. But very importantly, Liz and Stephanie point out that you just can't throw tech at a problem to fix it. They say the first step is understanding the current state of the process you're trying to improve and the specific needs of the legal department and the clients it serves. They explain why legal ops is not a one-size-fits-all approach and you need to tailor solutions to a legal department's very specific needs. We close out our talk with a discussion about why legal operations is an ongoing process rather than a one-time affair. And Stephanie and Liz also fill us in on the importance of being ready to adapt and evolve as needs change. You're at your neighbor's barbecue. Your neighbor's college friend corners you, and he's not in the legal industry. And you tell him you're into legal ops. And he goes, what's that? How do you explain it? I run the business of law, so the lawyers can do the practice of law. Actually, it's really that all the time. <laughs> but then he presses a little more, like, what's that mean? What's that entail helping them run the business? So we focus on people, process, and technology, right? And when we say people and process, we mean, does everybody know who's doing what to whom and when and how? That's the process piece, right? And are the people working at their highest value and bringing value back to the organization? So they're getting the value of their work for themselves as a professional, but they're also uh, bringing that back to the organization, right? You want the right resource type doing the right level of work. And then you want to be clear that you're enabling everybody to do so. So that's the process piece. Is there an understanding of all the steps and the approvals that are in the guardrails that are needed, right? Are you giving clarity and training us to why the company has a certain uh, methodology or thought process in their contracts, for example, by clause, right? So not only is it about the people, but it's also making sure that the steps associated with the work that they have to do is optimized and you're taking out a lot of that noise and friction and administrative work that can really distract you from getting to the desired end result. And then we look at technology and figure out ways on how that can support the people in process. So let's say the college buddy, your neighbor's college buddy, is really astute and he asks you, the next question is, well, why can't the the head of the legal department at the corporation, or why can't the managing partner Why can't they be in charge of that? Why do you need somebody separate to do legal ops? They didn't go to school for that. It's usually not in their sweet spot. It usually holds no interest for them. It's completely different training. Liz and I both know people who have gone to law school and also have MBAs, and they will tell you that the two are diametrically opposed. You know, they're completely different. And so when you go to business school, efficiency is a big part of it. Process enhancements, cleanup, really understanding efficiency, and those subjects are never taught in law school, along with math and, you know, and technology and 
So it's really a completely different role than a lawyer would typically play in a legal department. You both have deep, deep and decade plus experience in legal ops. But Stephanie, I noticed you started back with HP, correct? In mm -hmm. the 90s? I did, yeah. And you, as early as 1999, your title had legal ops in it. But that, was that even a thing back then? Because, I mean, most people think of legal ops are thinking 2010, maybe even 2015 when it really takes hold. What's going on and what's that like in 1999 versus today? I think HP was the only company on the West Coast who had that role. I think on the East Coast, the role did exist maybe in different incarnations. I don't think that they were necessarily called legal operations managers. Some probably did exist, but certainly on the West Coast, the HP was the first company to hire in this role. What it looked like was really a very light technology touch. There wasn't really off-the-shelf technology that you could buy at that time, aside from, you know, research tools, right, the common research tools. So we were building everything in-house ourselves at that time. So we were building a patent portfolio a tracking tool and some document management tools for uh, litigation management, really. The focus of my role was really around outside counsel management and spend. And I came from the finance world, and that's that's what HP was looking for, somebody with a strong financial background. So it looked quite different than it does today, for sure. So Liz, again, many, many years in, in legal ops, MetLife, BD, DXC, ultimately WeWork. If I understand correctly, you helped build out WeWork's legal ops. Yeah. So what was that like? What did that entail? Like? How'd that, how'd that start? What were the challenges? It actually started, I was at another consultancy. They knew they needed legal operations, but they didn't know what it would look like, right? So they brought me in to act as their head of legal ops and help them think about what was the structure, the infrastructure, kind of do a little quick assessment, but like deep within. And we ended up really like liking each other and uh, they had offered me the role. What that looked like, and this is what we at up level, I'm really proud that we do, is not to take a cookie cutter approach. And what you build in one company is not what you're going to build at the next company that you go to, right? So the managements are the same, like document management, knowledge management, outside counsel, like all those managements are the same. But how you apply them is really driven by the strategy and the goals and the complexity um, and the appetite of an organization, right? So I say all of my experience that I had at these very well-established, robust global companies before I got to WeWork served me really well to try to dissect what was going to work within the culture and the dynamic that we had. And especially the minute that I learned that we were going for an IPO, what, what being a public company looks like and having planned that before was really helpful. So again, focusing on the strategy, focusing on what those friction points are, focusing on what the goals, not only of the legal department, but the, you know, the company as a whole and how the legal department is supposed to help support and advise and execute on the company goals is really important on uh, developing a strategy from legal operations. And when we think about developing a strategy for legal ops, again, we're always focusing on the people and the process first. So let's talk about up level. Stephanie, you are one of the founders, Wiz, the COO. And let's go back to your neighbor's college friend. He finds out that you guys are both working with this company. What do you tell him it does? What services do you offer? I'm going to tell them that we have the most dynamic team 
in the industry, and if not, out of companies out there. And the reason why is because we are comprised of very passionate, dedicated experts on the team who have been in-house, have seen the joys and the pains of what it means to be an in-house legal department, and then bring that to our clients. And it goes back to we our solutions architects with our clients. We see ourselves really as an extension of their team if they let us be and really uh, lock arms with the general counsel, the head of ops, with uh, the direct reports of, of, of the general counsel, right? We, we are there to advocate for everybody to build that picture. So when I think of up-level ops, I really think that we are this rocket ship or this engine that really can enable a legal department to bring themselves to the next level, deriving a lot of value for the company. And am I correct in saying that you guys are kind of like a Swiss army knife or a sliding scale of services all the way from legal ops as a service. Hey, we'll take care of it for you. Maybe for a, a small organization or a nascent legal ops initiative in a company all the way to, hey, we'll just handle one piece, say, you know, outside council management or spend management, whatever that is. Am I correct in understanding that's kind of what you offer? Yeah, I mean, I think as Liz suggested earlier, we really do try to get in there and understand the client's needs. Often our work starts with an assessment because we have GCs calling us and saying, look, I know we need to be doing something here. I just don't know what that looks like. And we're hearing all of this about legal operations and technology, et cetera. Can you come in and tell us what we need to be doing? A lot of times we get calls saying, I want a tool or I've been reading about or hearing about, you know, generative AI or whatever they're hearing about, and they automatically assume that they need a tool. And maybe they do. But what I think the best thing we can do for every client, and like Liz said earlier, you know, one of the benefits that we add is we've been there. We know exactly what it's like to try to get a group of lawyers to adopt a new process or adopt a new technology. We know what it's like to have to go to the CFO and say, oops, we're going to be over budget this quarter. It's an awful conversation to have, right? So we know what it's like to try to work with IT to try to get resources and budget. So because of all of that, we take an incredibly practical approach to these things. But the best thing we can do is go in and really understand what's happening within the legal department, what their environment is like, and then make recommendations around what their next best steps are. It often starts with an assessment where we go in and we talk to everybody in the department. We talk to people outside of the department, business partners, as well as, you know, internal clients. We really try to get a full view of the legal department and how people view them, but then also like what the general counsel's goals and objectives are. Are they wanting to be more strategic? seen as more of a business partner, more proactive instead of reactive? Do they lack total visibility into what's happening within their department? And so we really try to solve for the problems that they're having, but again, in a very practical way. We're not a big consultancy that's going to come in with big fancy reports that aren't actionable. Instead, we'll come in with like, okay, here's the five things that if you do right now, it's going to be game-changing for the department. And then, by the way, over a three-year period, right, these are the things that you're going to want to do a year one, year two, year three. So we help them build a strategic roadmap as well, but we're very practical in what their needs are. And sometimes, frankly, I hate to say this, but on a podcast where people are going to hear me, but 
sometimes a spreadsheet is enough for for the time being, right? Yep. And, you know, we don't necessarily advocate throwing these big complex tools at everything because, again, you can have the best tool in the world, but if nobody's using it, it's a failure. And so really, we have to understand, like, what are people going to tolerate in terms of adoption? And so we go at it from that angle, frankly. And so I think it's really solving for each individual client's needs based on, you know, their circumstances. We're actually really passionate about the work that we do and the work product, right, in the assessments and the value that it gives our clients. We really take a lot of pride in giving our clients something that we wish we would have been handed by a consultant when we were in-house, right? And we put ourselves in the shoes of the GC and the head of ops and recognize that they are then going to one half to understand what we just said to them. Why are we telling them that they need a CLM? Why are we telling them that we need workflow to be able to defend? But they also need to make a business case internally. It doesn't end with us. They have to now go to their legal department, to their internal stakeholders, to the CEO, the CFO, what have you, to explain why there is a need for this change, a need for investment, right? It's not just an investment of dollars, it's an investment of time and energy and what have you, right? So we put you know, a lot of effort and thought to be able to arm our clients with that detail because we know the level of work that it takes to go beyond that. And to your point, Steph, there's little T and big T transformations. And sometimes the little T is that spreadsheet and it's fabulous and we put it in one particular area. And I think that gives a lot of weight and credence to when we're saying, you know what, over here, this is where you're going to get a lot of value if you spend some time in optimizing your processes, optimizing your people. And then we layer that with some real strategic technology to help support it. Then, right, you have this balanced view. And then the client can then make a decision as to when and where they want to invest their time at any, at any given point. Just to pile on to what Liz is saying, too, and to answer a question you asked earlier, Chad, about what are our capabilities, you're exactly right. We are like the Swiss Army knife, right? Where let's say we come in and we do an assessment and build a strategic roadmap for a client. We hand off that assessment to that client in a beautiful package with a, a bow on top of it with everything they need to just go forward and do it themselves. However, most legal departments find themselves pretty strapped, right? And they don't have a big operations team or they just need an extra set of hands. And so then we can also come in and help them execute on that plan. And so we have a lot of clients who come back to us over and over again, several clients who we've worked with for five, six years, where they're still implementing on the plans that we built for them, or they're doing new programs, and they call us in to help with each of those things. So we can roll up our sleeves and actually do the work because we were all in-house and have done the work. When we come back in just a moment, Stephanie and Liz explain how they conduct assessments so they can help in-house legal teams implement legal ops programs. They also tell us how you can get buy-in from the top to make changes in the legal department. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. This podcast is brought to you by Percipient, a legal services company powered by technology. Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co. Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. All right, we'll get back to my conversation with Stephanie and Liz in just a second. 
But before we do, I'd like to let you know if you go to tlpodcast.com, there's an episode page for this episode and every episode out there that we've done. And on these episode pages, you'll find links to more information about our guests and some of the stuff we talk about. If you want to subscribe, you can find us pretty much wherever you find podcasts. And if you like us enough while you're there, I hope you'll leave us a favorable review. All right, let's get back to my conversation about legal operations with Stephanie Corey and Liz Lagones of Uplevel Ops. So let's talk about the assessment and bringing in tech and why it's not the answer just to throw tech at something right away. But let's say a GC calls you up and says, hey, you know, I just got off the phone with a legal tech salesperson, business development person, and, you know, I like what they're selling. Let's say it's contract management software. So they call you and say, hey, do I need to bring it in? If so, how do I bring it in? What are the stages? What the, obviously, you start with the assessment, but during that assessment, what are you asking? What are you trying to find out? If it's specific to like CLM, for instance, let's say they really want to focus on CLM, you know, I would want to pick their brains a little bit to make sure that that is, in fact, what they need. If it is, then typically what we would do is understand that whole process. So we can do, obviously, we come in and do these overarching assessments and talk to everybody in the department and really look at the full department. If a GC just wants us to focus in on one area, like this contracting, as you're saying, of course, we can do that. And what we really want to dig in on is how are they currently handling contracts? And there's a lot to be done in terms of that people process piece before we look at technology. And in fact, we see a lot of mistakes being made, right, where we'll get a call after they've signed the contract with a vendor, but they've done none of that readiness work ahead of time. And because of that, they could have very well picked the wrong tool. And there's a good chance that they did. Because if you Google, you know, these contracting tools, there's hundreds right. of them out there, right? Right. So the chances that they've done the readiness work in terms of process mapping, understanding what workflows they want to automate first, right? You're not just going to go in and do absolutely everything all at once. You want to start with something. Start with an NDA, for instance, and or whatever contract workflow you want to start with first. And they have to be mapped. And you can't automate something that isn't already mapped, right? And once you do that mapping, it's going to be pretty shocking because everybody thinks it's going to go from point A to point B to point C, and it's nice and clean. But really, when you process map, you see that it's a bowl of spaghetti and it's all over the place. And there's 20 steps that can be re you know, removed from the process. So that work has to be done. On the people side, you've got to really understand what the policies are around engaging legal. So do you need to come to legal with, you know, I want a yoga instructor to, to come in <laughs> and teach a yoga class? Does legal need to approve that, right? So you, you want policies around when to engage legal, what to engage legal for, and then beyond that, you know, what does the process look like? And then while you're doing all of that, you know, you can start looking at technology. It's not like you have to do those things first before you even look at tools. But those things will inform what your actual requirements are, and that needs to be documented. And then you should be using that to select a tool. Tad, you said the GC comes to us and says, I want a CLN. What do I ask? I'm going to ask, why do you need a CLN? What are you trying to solve for exactly? Now, CLN is one of the most complex things that we can implement, right? Because it's holding a lot of dollars or generating right from a sales organization, right? All the obligations and the financial aspects of an organization. Now, is it just pure repository? Is it you want to manage workflow? Do you want to enable self-service? Do you want to know literally what's inside of your contracts? Is it redlining? 
right? Um, to Steph's point around the people and the process, what is happening there that you are hoping that CLM solves, right? What does success look like at the end of you having this piece of technology look like, right? And so we keep going from there depending on what the answers are. And to Steph's point, that's where we start gathering the requirements to be able to select the right tools to come in and demonstrate how they can support the process of that organization. And what we do, and I think we bring a lot of value to our general counsels and the legal departments is we help not only gather those requirements, build the process maps, we build the demo scripts and give the use cases to those vendors so that when they're coming in and presenting to the legal department and to the IT department, they are presenting how they're going to solve the problem for that organization and how they're going to support the process, right? And so what you're avoiding doing is the vendors coming in and just showing you what they feel is going to help, right? They're you know, they're shiny aspects of their tool. And every every tool has a core functionality, and that's usually what they're going to show you. But you want you at least want to be able to make the apples look as much the same when you are comparing them. And then you can make sure that you are picking the right technology. But by the way, you're not going to get 100% of everything right. that you want that doesn't exist in anything in life. But we're going to go in eyes wide open. And no, um, we're going to try to get you to 80-20, maybe 90-10, but we're going to go in with eyes wide open and understanding what success ultimately looks like and which tool is going to get you to success or as close to success as you want. And then the things that are not being solved there, we're either not going to care about it or we're going to find another solution for it or we're just okay with a minor annoyance on that side, right? So to Steph's point, that's what goes into the mapping that goes into how you build your policies and that goes into like how you are uh, configuring, ultimately configuring the tool that you select. And you say you guys go into the assessment, you help build out the process map. I'm assuming a lot of this is done with interviews of the people that are involved in the day-to-day handling the contracting process. Yes. Other than interviews, I mean, what else do you look at? Because obviously the people doing it have the know-how. What else do you look at to do this assessment to figure out what the process looks like? Everything that they want to give us. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> any policies, any process maps that they might have, checklists, trackers. I mean, I have had people hold up their post-it notes and show me like, this is the type of information that <laughs> I am collecting, right? Literally having an understanding of the type of data that they're tracking, right? What are their data needs? Who are they reporting to? We do ask to look at their spreadsheets to have an understanding to see if that's something that can go into technology. We ask them to show us current technology that they're using in the environment. Not only do we make recommendations for net new technology, but we'll also make recommendations on how they can optimize what they have or how what they have can interact with something new that they're putting in the environment. So we literally look at everything. We ask them, show us your teams. How are you organizing your teams channels and what have you, right? We give like, how do you can create more of a collaborative environment? Sometimes it's just around better communications on the team. It's not just about a big tool. It's just simplifying and enhancing what they have. So we basically really get in there and try to gather as much of information as if we were in the department ourselves. What's an example where you go through the assessment where you tell them, hey, the spreadsheet is doing you just fine. You don't need the tech right now. You're not ready. What would feed into that kind of advice? Why wouldn't you tell them a spreadsheet is already? Right. Or just that you're just not quite ready for the tech. You've got a lot more work to do before you even get there. 
We tell them you have a lot of more work and then we define what that work looks like in order to get to the technology. But we'll also tell them as you're doing this first, here are tools that you can be considering based on what we heard so far. But as you're improving those processes, your requirements might change a little bit, right? Because the nuances are a little bit different and we'll talk about it later. And sometimes we'll say like the spreadsheet is just fine because it's not creating any heartache for anybody. It's not taking a lot of time, right? It's really enabling the business, right? So we think about it from a, like, where are the friction points and where is the value of what they have in place? And if it's causing too much and it's not get, giving a lot of value, but you could get better with tech, that's when we say you have really have an opportunity. You've done great. And sometimes it's that they have a spreadsheet, but they are killing themselves, <laughs> literally hours just to be able to get that data in there. And it's not worth it. They could be doing such more higher value work, right? There's no joy, right? We talk a lot about up-level, about bringing a little work joy to people. And some of that means just taking away two hours a day of populating a document that tracks all of their contractual obligations or tracks like all of the work that came into the department instead of actually doing the work. So we look for those opportunities of where we can alleviate that tension to like identify when they're ready or not to move into something better. You know, we use the spreadsheet as an example because it's such an obvious example that everybody knows what a spreadsheet is. And okay, we get that, you know, if you're doing nothing, getting something into some type of shared document is going to be more helpful than not. And certainly a good interim step, you know, in between, right, the manual and the automated. But more realistically, I and, and I know Liz would ag agree with me on this, what we tend to see is a general counsel may say, okay, we need, you know, a full CLM, a contract lifecycle management tool. But when you start digging in, actually what they need is an intake tool or a very uh -huh. simple workflow tool. Because let's say they're not really interested in doing deep data extraction in the contracts yet, or they're a small team and they've got a pretty good process in terms of how they redline the contracts or what have you. Maybe an intake tool with simple workflow is totally sufficient as a tool for them for the time being. Those tools we find are fantastic because, yeah, eventually, maybe two years from now, three years from now, you'll be ready for a full CLM and you can continue to leverage the workflow tool for other types of things, non-contracting types of things, for instance. So basically those small interim steps where we're using the term spreadsheet as an example, but sometimes it's just a much lower tech tool, so to speak. And another great example of this that I know Liz comes across all the time, too, in our client work is whether or not you would rip and replace a current system, right? And so that's an example of we hear complaints frequently about a current tool that's being used, but we know that the tool is actually a completely fine and sufficient tool for what mm -hmm. they need, but they just had a terrible implementation or they cut corners when they were implementing. That happens really frequently. Or they didn't do the readiness work and they just, you know, plugged it in and the vendor walked away because they're obviously the vendor wants to move on to their next project and get things up and running as quickly as possible. And they didn't do the right work up front to kind of optimize how they implemented and how they're currently using the tool. Or they just failed on the change management piece afterwards, right? So they just never got the full adoption of the tool. And so looking at what your options are there in terms of, do you really need to rip and replace or do you just need to optimize what you've already got? It might not be as sexy. And sometimes what we find too is there's just so much bad will 
around the tool <laughs> that just because of that, yeah. you got to get rid of it. But it's really doing that kind of analysis that's going to save you time and effort up front and maybe just get you where you need to be for the time being, you know? You mentioned 80-20. So in this situation, maybe only 20% is deciding that tech is a good fit. You do need it. The 80% might be convincing the higher-ups and other people to get the buy-in and give you the money to do it. So I know you guys wrote a great article, Getting to Yes, which I'll put a link to it on the episode page. But what are some recommendations there? How do you get buy-in once the decision is made to change a process or in this specific situation to implement some tech into the process? How do you get the buy-in? It's a story that you are repeating constantly and you are enhancing and adapting depending on the audience. You know, Chad, you had asked me earlier on a little bit about WeWork, right? That was some of what I had to do in order to make a huge change in a transformation from a technology perspective and get investment from SoftBank, right? To say, yes, we're going to make this change, but you have to paint the picture. You have to get the buy-in from all your stakeholders so they understand why you're doing it. It talks about being flexible in how you're telling your story, I might have to do a memo for my legal department and have to do a slide deck with a lot of pictures for my sales team, for example, <laughs> right? They don't have, nobody has time for words. Actually, a lot of legal departments don't have time for words these days either. But it's really kind of telling that story and what the benefit is going to be to each of the stakeholders. You really, it's not only about the dollars, but you also want to hit home. There's an emotional component to this, right? Everybody's tied to the way that they work and the value they bring to their work. And so you want to make sure that if you were making a suggestion for a change or a transformation that you are really are aware of your stakeholders, what are their triggers, what lights them up, and make sure that you're addressing that in telling your story. And you want to be data-driven. You want to come, um, you don't want to say like, oh, I'm just tired and I'm frustrated. You want to say, wow, I am spending five hours a day <laughs> just trying to find a contract and prioritize and do all this in five hours, maybe a little excessive, but we can. I do find people saying like an hour, an hour a day of just trying to find something. That's an hour you could have been spending negotiating something instead of trying to find the contract to start negotiating uh, <laughs> your position, right? So really come from a, a data perspective and also uh, the human component of it too. You got to marry it. So it's, again, it's all about the story and constantly putting it on repeat. So one of the things you say in the article is you got to build a coalition. How do you do that? You got to get supporters so it's not just you advocating on your own. That was one of my biggest mistakes when I was in-house. My biggest fit and probably most expensive failures was when back in my HP days, I thought we needed document management. I know we needed document management, right? Huge company and everything's stored on people's personal drives and all of that. And I did not do a good job of selling it. And so at the end of the day, the only team using it was my team. And so that's where I really learned the points that Liz is making is you've got to make it important to people. But I think that finding that coalition of the willing, in other words, find somebody who's complaining about it the loudest and then find people who are willing to try it out and that's really, at the end of the day, how you build kind of a groundswell of effort. If people always see you as the legal operations professional in the department, if they only see you as being the champion of everything, 
I think you lose influence by being the one who's always pushing change, right? But I think you gain influence by having other folks join you in your efforts. And also just, you know, going back to that big failure that I had in my earlier days, I think that the best thing a legal ops manager can do is wait in some ways for that groundswell, right? So if I were back in-house, if I wanted something that nobody else wanted, I would not try to push it again. Even if I thought it was the best thing for the department to do, you just won't get people on board with it. But if you hear grumblings and, you know, and it's something that you think strategically is an important thing for the department to do, then that's where you can kind of strike while the iron is hot and get people on board and, and help you rally for it. And then like, you know, Liz wrote in her article, when you're building that business case, you consider the financial pieces to it, but also the productivity pieces that don't necessarily have a hard dollar amount tied to it. You really in order to build that ROI, you really have to look at the total picture because what we've found with clients is oftentimes they'll think of just the licensing fees alone. Look, this system is costing us X. We had one client where it, it, it was costing them more than 10 times what they actually thought it was costing them because as we went out and talked to people, they'd hired additional people to oh. compensate for the lack of functionality in the system, other departments had actually purchased their own software that didn't integrate with, but it did what they needed it to do. And then they were manually, you know, entering the data into the other system. You really have to dig in and see what people are doing as workarounds and total that into the what the ROI would be if you purchased a new system. And that will help you with your business case. It'll help you make your case. Yep. And even, you know, how do you gain support outside of your legal department, your stakeholders? You have to make friends with everybody, right? My first point of order when I got into a company was not only to get to know the people within my department, but I got to know the people and departments that the legal department worked with and for, right? So finance was my best friend, HR, IT, the sales group, right, the procurement group. And the way that you get them to buy in is by asking questions, understanding what their experience is in receiving legal services, understanding where it is that they wanted to go as an organization over the next year to three years, right? And then when you had a plan, right, if both sides were squeaking about something, right? I don't know where my work is. I don't have a status. I can't find anything, right? Is like partnering with them, bringing them in the fold. This is why we talk to business stakeholders in our assessments to understand what it is is going to bring value to them and have them be part of the solution. And then when they see the art of the possible of what you're suggesting in the change, they are going to advocate for you. They are going to be the ones that are going to go to the leaders and say, you know what, I support this investment because I see that it's going to speed up contracting. It's going to bring revenue into the door faster. It's going to give us greater visibility and transparency into our issues and rest, right? So if you bring them into the story early on, and into the problem solving and the solutioning, they will become natural advocates for you without you even having to ask. This is a hard example of something Liz just said. And she won't mind me talking about this publicly because she won the ACC Value Champion Award <laughs> for this. But Loretta Cecil used to be the general counsel of Change Healthcare. And one of the things that was happening in their department was they would go to their you know executive team meetings and the head of sales was constantly complaining about the backlog in legal, right? They couldn't get their sales done because there was a backlog in contracts 
and they were fighting at the executive council, not a good look, right? So we worked with Loretta to come up with a system of, they worked with a partner in ALSP who they were able to offload work stream after work stream of contracts. So you do one at a time. It was, you know, train them, it was working, then you add another one. Anyway, they were able to clear out this whole backlog and sales went from being kind of the enemy of legal to being a huge champion of legal in a matter of, you know, whatever it was. It was started in about six months where all of a sudden now sales is like so happy that legal is plowing through these things. So it's really, like Liz said, going outside of the department is also important to find friends there and find ways that you could, you know, deliver your services in a better way. I like to ask for some real world tips. So let's say it's early in the legal ops life cycle for a particular legal department. The GC maybe has just a couple people, or maybe it's growing, maybe it's 10, maybe it's growing. It's a fast moving tech company, but still a small legal department. And the GC knows she should be doing something to get more organized about legal ops. How do you advise that person? What are the first steps? Where should they be thinking about just to get the ball moving? Not worrying about what tech they have to implement, not worrying about, you know, creating crazy processes. What's the starting point? I think in my opinion, and I'm curious to hear what Liz says, but one of the one of the trends that I've seen is the earlier adoption of legal operations into legal departments way earlier than 10 years ago, for instance. We used to see legal departments be at about 40, 50 people, and then they bring in, you know, a legal ops manager. And then, of course, that person, that poor person has to scramble to clean up all of the bad right. stuff, you know, the bad processes that have been going on for five, six, seven years, whatever. And so now often we literally get calls from solo GCs, sometimes from COOs, they don't even have a head of legal yet, you know, and they think they're spending too much money or there's got to be a better way to do this or what resources can they use without having to build a whole huge legal department to begin with. It was very interesting, a very interesting trend for me to, to get a call from a general counsel who was by themselves, right? And they really wanted to talk to us. And that was kind of a surprise when I started up level. But I think now the thing that they need to consider is, you know, what are their needs? So, like, are they getting pressure from the CFO to right away start producing, you know, metrics and and prove what there's the value for what they're spending, et cetera? How do they want to position themselves within the company? So do they want to be seen as the strategic advisor? Do they want to have the seat at the table where they're, you know, being pulled into any kind of deal, that any work that the company is doing right away? And if so, how you get that information is through legal operations. It's really hard to manually collect all of that. And so if you have a business manager for the department who's starting to manage all of that process, it can be incredibly valuable for the lawyers so they don't have to do this themselves and try to figure out how to do that. So I think having somebody to at least do some of this stuff part-time even, so if you're a solo GC, you might want to hire in an attorney first, but then maybe you want to hire in a contracting paralegal, right? Somebody who's just going to help you through the process. So that's probably your person who's going to be more business-minded, who's going to be more operationally focused, and in other words, you don't have to hire a senior person like me or Liz right out of the gate, but you can get somebody on board who's more junior, who can do maybe some substantive legal work like a you know superstar paralegal, but who is also operationally focused and can start getting these processes in place. So three, four years from now, you don't have a huge mess to clean up. If you can do it right from the beginning, then you're setting yourself up for a much, much easier time as you grow and scale. 
Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking of a, of a lot of our clients who started as a small legal department. You know, our client uh, profile runs everything from a department of one GC to a department of 100 plus, right, as far as, as legal staff. And Steph, you had said something of putting in some process first. I think about when you are a very small legal department in a fast scaling organization, you are in reactive mode, right? Because the work and the request and the issues are just coming in and nobody's thinking about like, well, should I be looking at this? Should I not be looking at this? And like the next thing you know, three years from now, you're spell checking for marketing and making sure like you're using <laughs> the right color blue, right? You laugh, but that, that's really something that comes up a lot in our areas. And it's when we say legal operations, it's not just about the function and the people who run that. It's really about a mindset, having an operational mindset in how you practice law. So I would advise that general counsel to think about, are you establishing clear roles and responsibilities with your business? Are there clear guardrails as to what is a legal issue and what is a commercial issue? Are you setting yourself up, GC, CLO, for success to be a, a strategic business partner with your leadership? Or are you setting yourself up to be reacting with them and not be business enabled, right? So a lot of the things that we put in to get you to a level of maturity is really to set up the legal department and its employees, right, to be a strategic business partner, right? Because they have all that infrastructure that we've been talking about from a people and process perspective. So I would say early on, you don't have the time to invest. You don't have, right, the appetite to be thinking about a lot of big structures. I would say start simple. Start with the people and the guardrails and the risk, putting in some definition and some policies in place. If you are going to put process and policies in place, make sure you're going to adhere to them, right? Don't overdo it, right? Don't go overdoing it and making some fancy policy that says you're going to do all this. And at the end of the day, you know you're not going to do it, right? Start small and build from there. But try to create some order in the chaos. I think the issue is that we get so used to like operating in chaos that we don't skip a beat to like really think about what's happening. And it's in that moment, like five minutes of just sometimes thinking and saying, oh, wait, <laughs> this really isn't making sense. Let me not be reactive and be thoughtful can go a long way. And then when you're a little bit more mature, you have a few extra bodies or a few extra dollars, then you could start thinking about how do you continue to scale with the rest of the company. Stephanie, Liz, appreciate your time. People want to get a hold of you. We're more about up level. Where do you want to send them? Uplevelops.com. That's it. Or find us on LinkedIn. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.